Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to teach. So call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. How the heck can the Federal Reserve cut interest rates or even contemplate it when the market's still at such elevated levels? Now, we've had such an incredible run this week, even if today was a bit of a dud. Dow dipping 34 points, doesn't be inching down 0.13%. NASDAQ climbed 0.24%. I mean, the Fed is supposed to cut rates when the economy's in trouble, right? How could the economy be in trouble if the S&P 500 briefly made a new all-time high today? I hear a lot of people saying this, but it's based on a serious misapprehension, usually by people who don't really understand the stock market itself because it's a market of stocks. See, it's no longer a good gauge. The actual indices aren't even a good gauge to the actual economy. The recent rally tells us that lots of companies are doing well for a variety of reasons. Some are doing well because of lower interest rates in the Treasury market. Uh, Some are doing well because we still have a strong consumer because of employment. Also, uh, there's been some fast-growing tech stocks that have not been constrained by the economy. And pharma, well, pharma and fast-growing tech, they tend to thrive in a weak economy. More importantly, I think we're looking at this very backwards. The market roared to to these levels because Wall Street thinks there's going to be a rate cut. We'd be much slower if Fed Chief Jay Powell told us that it was still on the table, that there wasn't going to be any change. And if he talked about a rate increase, well, we would just be down huge. At the end of the day, the Fed is looking at the whole business world, and they recognize that everything from big projects to hiring itself might be put on hold because executives are freaked out by the president's tariffs. They are really starting to have a very chilling effect, even if they don't want to admit it in the White House. Both the current ones and the ones that might be out of the future are very important to, the, to how business people make decisions. See, Jay Powell isn't being reckless at all. He's being prudent. When you see major indicators like rail car loadings, okay, boxes, chemicals, steel, lending coming down, these are early signs of what could happen prelude to a recession or at least a slowdown. Powell doesn't want that. He wants to prevent it. Remember, he didn't commit to cutting rates next month, right? All he did was to say he's monitoring the situation. I think Powell's trying to get ahead of the, sl- of the uh, slowdown. But he's not going to pull the trigger until he sees the employment numbers for June and whatever the president does next on trade at the G20 meeting, which is staring us right in the face. Now, that's as good a place as any to start with our game plan for the next week. On Monday, I'm looking for two things that might happen over the weekend. I want some preview of the president's trade talks with China, especially since I expect another 10% tariff proposal on the remaining $300 billion worth of goods we buy from the Chinese, possibly even before the G20. Remember, it's a proposal. And I'm hoping the White House will come up with a more proportionate response to Iran shooting down that drone because the first idea sounded pretty darn draconian, even for this president. 
Both of these events could be negative for the market, perhaps very negative. And stocks simply aren't set up for that negativity here. In fact, if anything, we're overbought and we are due for a pullback classically. Remember I told you about the proprietary oscillator I get from the Standard & Poor's company, the one that helped us call the bottom a few weeks ago? Well, it breached six yesterday. It's come down a little bit today, but it breached six on the positive, which tells me you got to do some selling. That's why we've been raising cash seemingly endlessly for my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. Tuesday, what I call a fulcrum day. Why? Because we hear from the leaders of three different industries. We hear from Lenar for housing. We hear from FedEx for obviously just commerce, okay, transportation commerce. And we hear Micron, gigantic semiconductor company. If you want to know why the Fed's taking a more dovish approach here, well, just listen to these three conference calls. It's going to tell you everything you need to know. Lenar didn't exactly have a glowing report last time. Remember, it's the largest home builder. But this quarter, it has the benefit of lower mortgage rates. If we get an upside surprise, that's one less reason for the Fed to cut. But I don't know if we're going to get one. I think FedEx will tell the tale of a slowdown thanks to the international shipping business and tariffs. Our companies that sell merchandise overseas have had a hard time lately. FedEx knows how to frame that weakness for us. Remember, Fred Smith, the CEO, is an economist. He's also the founder. How about Micron? Well, this commodity chip maker has been slammed by a series of downgrades and price targets all week. The problem, Micron misjudged the level of demand. They thought it would start to exceed the supply for their basic chips as soon as the second half of this year, which is kind of now upon us. And they thought the price would recover. Instead, prices keep going down. Now, that means the estimates are too high when they report. Sometimes I think Micron represents a bargain because it's trading at five times uh, earnings. But a low multiple like that, that's a big neon sign that says, Earnings are going to collapse. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Most times it does. Wednesday, we get results from General Mills. Uh, if you remember the last quarter, they had a very nice upside surprise. It was large part because of Blue Buffalo dog food. A lot of people felt they paid too much. But you know who doesn't feel that way? Marley and NVIDIA, their favorite. I think this stock already reflects a lot of positivity, though. It's currently within spinning distance 52-week high up almost 40% for the year. No. You know what? If I'm going to buy new high stocks, I'm going to buy Mondelez. We had them on recently. And PepsiCo. I want them on recently. Uh, and those are a pair of snacking plays. Why? Because millennials have a predilection to eat seven times a day. Do they do anything that I do? Is there any, even a smidgen, a smidgen of commonality? We both breathe. We both breathe. Okay, on Thursday, we hear from these companies that lots of people want to bet against. Walgreens, McCormick, Nike. I get the bear case on Walgreens. Amazon's killing them on the commodities up front. Their regulatory agencies galore looking into the pricing for pharmacy and back. How bad is Walgreens? I'd rather actually have you own CVS. Another house of pain if you insist on buying a drugstore. How about McCormick, the spice kingpin? Well, that's interesting. They've got this line. You know, it's red hot. Ha ha. Seven percent of its float has been sold short, which I think is way too high. Just kidding. McCormick's got a good track record. I expect a good quarter. I think it can go higher. They're non-promotional about them. I didn't know I had, that I made my own cayenne pepper sauce. I should serve this at Bar San Miguel, my small plate Mexican restaurant that is in Carroll Gardens. Never mind. As for Nike, I keep hearing that they're going to have a shortfall. Why? Well, because of China. But Nike has a better relationship with the Chinese Communist Party than and any other American company. That's it. I don't like the risk reward here after the stock's recent run. I liked it when it was at, at 80. On Friday, STC, Constellation Bears reports, this is a company that's parent of Corona Medella. It needs to tell us a tale of strong beer demand. Unfortunately, it's been raining a lot. I can tell you from being in the tavern business, uh, raining makes drip, drip, it just hurts beer sales. 
I'm concerned that the stock might take another clubbing like last time. Plus, after last night's shortfall from Canopy Growth, the cannabis company Constellation owns a big chunk of, some investors are questioning that investment. I say it's too early. From there, we're off to the G20, where President Trump will meet with his great friend, President Xi, and hopefully they'll hammer out something. But remember, hope should never be part of your equation. I'm not optimistic here. We've seen this before. It didn't accomplish anything. The president thought he was had. I think people could be disappointed. The bottom line, we had a great run this week. It lasts two, last three weeks. But the market's down overbought territory, and there are a bunch of potentially negative catalysts. That's why I think it pays to be a little cautious. Wait for more days like today if you want to do some buying that, especially that nasty last half hour, which was a full-scale markdown of every high-flying stock, including the IPOs, in this market. Steve in New Jersey. Steve. Jim, big booyah from New Jersey, Vice Life. How's it going? Pretty good. How about you? Pretty good. Look, time is money, so I want to make this short and sweet. AMD and Lisa Sue's got me real excited. Sue got me real excited, maybe except for Goldman and UBS, but that's a different segment. Trump and Xi in Osaka. How much has the market priced in the deal? And if it goes through, is AMD going to make the short heads explode? My head just exploded from Steve's question. Uh, I like Advanced Micro. It's marking time between the 28 and 32 level. People are worried that there's a glut of semiconductors and it's going to extend to AMD. I don't think it will. I think Lisa Sue will navigate her way through this. It's a great long-term position. I need to go to Wendy in Nevada. Wendy. Hey, Kramer. Yeah. So you talk a lot about these companies that just hit the market like CrowdStrike and Beyond Meat. But yeah, I try to keep Kramer. people current on these. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, but nothing about fiber anymore. You know why? Because so, I'm not a fan of fiber. I oh just didn't, God, I, didn't, well, I didn't think it was special enough. Logo, poster, brochure. I know. I just don't think it, it. I think it snuck in there in between a bunch of others, and I just don't think it's special enough. So I did not elect. Remember, I liked Revolve. That got killed today. Oh, my God. We're going back to Steve in New Jersey. We're talking to him again. Steve, I think we should go to somewhere else. I think we should go to a whole different state. Hello? I think we go to Joe. This is Joe from North Carolina. That's what I was hoping for. You know, I'm done with Jersey for the day. Joe, what's up? Hey, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for your time. Um, real quick, um, I see Verizon, ticker symbol VZ, um, America's best reliable network, now 5G, helping consumers in many ways. Uh, number one, the struggling education system of the U.S. may be using AI to educate students that understand better, while teachers can focus on the letter lesser understood. Right. And number two, in healthcare, where the technology can pinpoint health issues were more accurately than the human eye can. Right, right. Well, you're, you're a buyer of that, of, yep, of that peer. Let me just say that Verizon is the stock that I've been recommending since the show began. I think it's an incredibly well-run company. Uh, it is a core holding for a lot of people, and I agree with that idea. Uh, it is a stock that I can re- recommend, and when I see you on the street, you're going to say, hey, you know what? Thank you very much, Jim Cramer. All right, I am taking a cautious stand into next week. We've been up a lot. Market's overbought. Let it come down. I suggest you do the same. Hey, old man, money tonight. Dude, you're getting Dell at a discount, but does that mean it's worth buying? I'm eyeing the company after its pause. Then, an unlikely retailer that's firing all cylinders. Find out if it's time to take a ride. And after a tough day for the cannabis cohort, I'm eyeing a name that could be worth considering once the dust settles. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call. 
at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. Last month, everything that's remotely connected to China broke down as the trade tensions with the PRC just keep escalating. This month, many of those stocks have come roaring back, but not all of them. Witness Dell Technologies. In late January, not long after Dell returned to the public markets, I pounded the table on this one. I told you the company had changed dramatically thanks to the acquisition of EMC. It was no longer a play on personal computers and printers. It was now much more of a diversified tech play with lots of enterprise exposure, not to mention coming owning most of VMware, which is one of our favorite cloud kings. At the time, Dell was trading at 44 bucks, and I told you it was just way too cheap to ignore. you got to own this one. And it's been a pretty darn good call, although it looked a whole lot better a month ago. At first, Dell caught fire, rallying to $70 last month, practically in a straight line. But since mid-May, this stock has come right back down, plunging more than 16 bucks from its highs, 23.5%. While it's still up about 10 bucks from where I recommended it, its darn thing has been slaughtered lately. So what the heck happened to Dell? Does it make sense to buy the stock here? Or has something gone very, very wrong? Has this stock gone off the rails? The proximate cause of the decline came at the end of May when Dell reported really a not-so-hot quarter. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't great either. Coming delivered a modest earnings beat on top of weaker-than-expected sales. The problem, Dell cited some softness in server demand and some weakness in China. Oh, man, the guidance was actually solid, but that, commun- that commentary really did spook investors. And the stock got hammered. Between Dell's China exposure and a possible slowdown in their server business driven by weaker economies, well, the stock couldn't get much traction. China's become a minefield, people, minefield for the tech sector, worse than, than other areas because this is really at the crux of the trade war. President Trump wants to prevent the Chinese from leapfrogging us technologically. Hence the Huawei blacklist. That's about 5G, you know, and the new supercomputer blacklist he rolled out today out of nowhere. Now, Dell got about 11% of its sales from China last year, according to FactSet estimates. Although now the company says it's more like the high single digits. At the same time, much like Apple, Dell's potentially caught in a big crossfire here because you also have to worry about how much of a supply, its supply chain is based in the PRC, meaning Trump's next round of tariffs, the ones that I'm saying it could be opposed for $300 billion, well, it might hit Dell's products. We know China has already started to hurt the numbers. On the latest conference call, CFO Thomas Sweat explained, uh, Sweet, explain what I'm talking about. These are quotes, okay, and they're very tough. Here's the first one. We did see some slower server growth than we anticipated. This was more pronounced in a few areas, principally China, and in certain large enterprise opportunities, end quote. Wow. Later, Sweet adds, quote, we did see some softness in China, end quote. Uh, as for the tariffs, they've managed to navigate the president's first three rounds of tariffs, and the company believes it can handle the latest increase from 10 to 25 percent. They're also planning to adjust the global supply chain in anticipation of a fourth round, which, you know, I have said is going to occur. 
Sweet says the company saw more competitiveness in the Chinese server market and it simply didn't make sense for them to chase unprofitable business. That's just somebody's nipping at their heels at the PRC. All that said, I think most of these China fears are already baked into the stock. I mean, look, this stock has gone from 70 down to 54 precisely because of what I just mentioned. It's not like I just it's revelatory. I'm giving you the history. Remember, this is less than 10 percent of Dell's business. Still, we know the Communist Party is thinking about putting Dell on their list of unreliable global companies because it's complying with the Huawei ban. And that would hurt. The other big worry, the apparent softness in enterprise information technology spending. And I'm like exasperated by this because a lot of people thought this was very strong. See, now suddenly everybody's concerned about a slowdown, both here in the, US, in the U.S. and in the rest of the world. It's a slowdown driven by big business. Between the trade wars and the Fed's misguided December rate hike, executives have gotten more cautious. If the economy keeps slowing, Wall Street fears that companies may tighten their belts and cut their hardware spending. I think this is definitely the case. This is, by the way, the kind of softness that is Fed Chief Jay Powell thinking about potentially cutting interest rates in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, so what if the stock market's really high? This stuff is happening underneath. The stocks that are flying are the ones that don't have anything to do with the economy for the most part. How vulnerable would Dell be to this kind of slowdown that we're talking about? When we spoke to CEO Michael Dell back in March, he explained that his company has a lot more exposure to the most critical areas of the enterprise tech spending, meaning the last things that would get cut if business start freezing, their IT budgets, meaning it might not be as bad as the action in the stock suggests. These worries, by the way, are also hitting VMware, Dell's terrific subsidiary that's a major player in the cloud infrastructure space. VMware is one of our cloud kings. But it's now lagging the rest of the kings. Why? Well, it's a crazy thing. The numbers are good. When VMware reported on May 30th, the same night as Dell, they posted a terrific top and bottom line beat. They announced a $1.5 billion buyback. That's B. And, but because the earnings guidance for the next quarter and the full year came in a little bit light, they didn't raise numbers, basically. The stock got annihilated, down 7.4%. The very next day. Given that Dell owns about 80% of VMware, and VMware is a $71 billion company, that, ex- that explains a decent chunk of the decline in Dell stock. On the one hand, VMware stock had run up dramatically going into the quarter. We were talking about it for years. Well, it means it was really poised to sell off no matter what. Uh, on the other hand, this company's all about virtualization, allowing customers to take a single server and use it to host multiple digital machines. So investors fear that if the, it might get hurt if the server business is slowing down. However, VMware says it doesn't have much correlation with enterprise hardware spending. The business is really all about helping companies onboard the cloud, particularly Amazon Web Services. Wall Street wanted VMware to raise its guidance. That's what we were really hoping for. But guidance management, they left it unchanged. Now, here's my view on VMware. And we spent a lot of time on this. I think they were simply being conservative. I don't think there's anything wrong with VMware. I think the sellers blew it way out of proportion. I think they're just trying to make it so the bar isn't too high. I'd say VMware at 173 is a better buy than Dell. It may be more expensive, but that's only fair given its faster growth rates and more limited economic sensitivity. Dell has other subsidiaries, too, although they're much smaller. Now, one of them, Pivotal Software, wow, it's lost 40% of its value in the last three weeks. The weakness at this cloud-based software development platform is tougher to explain. Pivotal slashed its full-year revenue guidance without much of an explanation, blaming a sales execution in a complex technology landscape. Ouch! 
These are all real concerns, but when you put it all together, Dell is sticking to its gun, standing by its full-year earnings forecast of 605 to 670. Now, if they can deliver those numbers, think about this. This stock is selling 8.5 times earnings. I just did a piece last night about the Dow stocks. Most of them are triple that, 7.4 times next year's numbers. When you see a multiple this low, though, you know what it means? It means Wall Street's expecting the estimates to come down. However, at these levels, I'm actually betting most of the weakness is already reflected in stock price. And that assumes nothing gets better. If Michael Dell is right that the company's less sensitive to a slower economy, I think this could be a fabulous buying opportunity. If we get a trade deal, oh, it's a rocket ship. Bottom line, unfortunately, Dell stock is shackled to China. So it could get hit again next week if we don't get any kind of trade deal from the G20 meeting. But if that happens, I think then you can buy Dell into weakness. It's just gotten too cheap to ignore. I need to speak to Andrew in New York, please. Andrew. Hi, Jim. This is Andrew calling from Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, go Brooklyn. What's up? Hey, Jim. I want to just let you know I watch the show every day. I love the show and a big Brooklyn boo 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 Man, I like that. I like that. It's, it, it's the, it's the um, you know, we're, Brooklyn's really the house of kings is the way I look at it. Oh, it's the best. Like the Medici's. Like the Medici's of New York. Highly recommended. I want to highly recommend your restaurant. Thank you. Um, okay, I want to give a shout-out to my wife, Annie, my parents, Ali and Jeff on Staten Island. So I'm calling today in regards to Alteryx, ticker symbol AYX, and it's a, really a two-part question. I'll make it quick. Um, the first part is what do you think the short-term year, opposed to long-term, five-year growth potential is for Alteryx? And the second part is, do you think Alteryx would be a possible candidate for acquisition in the future? Some competitors would be Tableau, Microsoft, Tulic, IBM. Well, but remember, they, they do data stores, they do retrieval and reporting. They do it. Yeah, you're right. I have liked Alteryx. I made a big mistake. I filled out to be a customer of Alteryx, and now everywhere I go, it follows me. Every single time I put up an Alteryx ad, Alteryx ad. Alex is a very good company. That's a cool call. I like it. Felicity in Florida. Felicity. Hello, Mr. Kramer. You are my mentor. There you go. I'm Thank a long-time you. listener and a first-time caller. All right. I'm calling about CyberArk. Um, I'm up 80%. Should I keep going? Should I sell it? Oh, up 80, but Udi McCarty keeps delivering. They've got a great business, but up 80%. We're being piggish. What we're going to do is we're going to take a quarter of it off the table on Monday. That way I feel a little better. Otherwise, all I'm going to do is sit here and worry about you. Congratulations on a great trade or an investment, depending upon your time horizon. All right, Dell could get hit, depending on the G20 meeting. And if that happens, buy, 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 and stick with Kramer. Sometimes it thinks it really just feels like this market has become nothing more than a plaything. A plaything in the hands of the Federal Reserve, plaything in the hands of the president. That was easy. Yet if you're too focused on the big picture, even when it's good like it's been this week and the last two others, well, you can miss some incredible opportunities. We pay a lot of attention to these macro forces, but it's worth remembering that individual companies still do matter. Individual earnings reports still matter. Just look at CarMax, the chain of used car dealerships with a stock that exploded higher today, up three, more than 3%. I mean, it's unbelievable. It had a fabulous quarter. Even though CarMax had already run up dramatically before those numbers, it rallied more than 40% over the past three months, the company still managed to blow away the expectations. And you know what? 
I think this one still has a lot more upside. So why is CarMax still worth owning here? First, let me give you some background on this one. Now, I started recommending this one back in January of 2018 because while the new car market was peaking, I thought the used car market was poised to go into raging bull mode. And thank heaven it was. However, the stock's had some ups and downs. When I got behind it, CarMax was trading at 64 and change. Then vaulted up to 80 at its highs last September, okay? And then uh, ran ahead first into a concrete retaining wall, which was a big rate cut, rate increase, right? Right here, okay? And then during the fourth quarter sell-off, well, CarMax then just got... It was hurt a lot worse than a lot of other companies. After a series of very strong quarters, the company reported numbers that were good, okay, but not great in late September. Then in December, they delivered some genuinely disappointing numbers. Same store sales uh, down 1.2%. Stock pulled back to the mid-50s, which I understand. I mean, this thing had been red hot. You can't have any disappointment like that. It didn't help, by the way, the Federal Reserve, of course, was raising interest rates. Many people need financing to buy a, a used car. The short-term rates really do matter. In the wake of that quarter, CarMax couldn't really rally, along with the rest of the market at the beginning of the year. Not even after the company hosted what I thought was a very bullish analyst meeting in January. I loved it. The business seemed to be struggling. Management was spending a fortune building out its omni-channel capabilities with the goal of allowing customers to complete the whole process of buying a car online. Building up a digital business out of nothing can be really costly, and it doesn't always pay off. People couldn't make up their minds if this was a positive catalyst or just one more thing to worry about with a stock that was breaking down horribly. I heard the head and shoulders pattern. You know, all the different negatives were emerging here. But in the last three months, CarMax has come back with a vengeance. First, the company reported better than feared quarter in late March. Even though the sales were a little bit light, the earnings were substantially better than expected. While the numbers didn't look that fabulous, they took Wall Street's biggest fears off the table, which is why the stock rallied nearly 10% on the news. Just, okay. uh, plus, the omnichannel experiment, well, it turns out it's working. CarMax rolled out their new internet business in Atlanta, and these stores saw their same store sales grow by double digit. Remember, that was a test market. But once you see it works in Atlanta, why should it work everywhere else? And that was just the start, because this story just keeps getting better and better. Like I told you, this stock spent the last three months surging higher. The bar had been raised. When CarMax reported this morning, the numbers weren't going to be graded on a curve like they were last time. We needed a genuine blowout. And that's what they gave. Management didn't disappoint. CarMax delivered some fantastic numbers, a 10-cent earnings beat off a $1.49 basis with higher-than-expected revenues, and same-store sales rising 9.5% year-over-year, much higher than the 5.6% figure that Wall Street was looking for. And remember, man, the car business is not that good, but this is, this is amazing. Where did these incredible numbers come from? As CEO Bill Nash, one smart fella, told us in the conference call, quote, this strength in retail is the result of a combination of many factors, including our solid execution, which was supported by enhancements to the customer experience, a robust lending environment, and a delay of February, February tax refunds into our first quarter, end quote. Between lower interest rates, these tax refunds, and stellar execution, I think you have to say that CarMax is firing on all cylinders. And it's not just the retail side. The company's wholesale used car business was also very strong, up 6% year-over-year. At the same time, I think they have a huge opportunity with this digital business. We know Carvana, the totally web-based used car retailer. That's been growing by leaps and bounds. We've featured that for you. Although, I, you know, I became skeptical of the sky-high valuation. But there's a huge opportunity to sell people used cars on the Internet, and CarMax is taking advantage of it. The company's been building out its infrastructure so that they can cater to these online-only customers 
who don't want to deal with the hassle of speaking to another human being. Remember, the millennials hate to talk to people, uh, and they certainly don't like to talk to a used car salesman. Now, you buy it online. They'll deliver it to your car to your house. How do you like that? That's what they do. Now, they've got their omnichannel pilot program in Atlanta, which, once again, sold double-digit same-store sales growth. Remember, you have to project that across the country. Nash explained that, and I quote, the Atlanta market continues to outperform the overall company in both comp sales and appraisal buyers, end quote. Oh, and one of these omnichannel centers can serve a lot more than just a single city. Earlier this month, CarMax rolled out its omnichannel uh, at the majority of its stores in Florida. They're going to do the same in North Carolina, Virginia. That's all from this one center in Atlanta. Next month, they're rolling out a second omnichannel customer experience center in Kansas City. And they've decided uh, they're deciding on a third location uh, for later in the year. In fact, by the end of the current fiscal year, CarMax says it's on track to get their omnichannel offering to a majority of their customers. Nash also thinks the digital business could turn out to be more efficient than the traditional business model. That's uh, been true with everyone else. Why shouldn't it be true with used cars? Granted, it's going to be expensive, but it's based on the results we've seen so far. I think it's worth every penny. In the end, I'm betting CarMax can do anything that Carvana can do. They don't even need to build out those big used car vending machines because they've already got more than 200 showrooms nationwide. Finally, the Macron is really in CarMax's side again. It's, it's really in their favor. Remember how the stock got clobbered in the fourth quarter, okay, when interest rates were rising? Now long-term rates have come down hard, and the Fed's likely to cut short rates both of which allow people to get cheaper financing again. And do not forget the tariffs, people. The tariffs work in favor of this. I think CarMax is a big winner from any escalation in the trade war. Why? Because anything that makes new cars more expensive, like tariffs on, say, steel, right, on, on aluminum, well, it ends up giving used cars a competitive advantage. If President Trump ever follows through on his threats to slap tariffs on German autos, what a win for CarMax. And it could happen. Not yet, but it could happen. Plus, in a slowing economy, you have to believe that consumers become more price sensitive, which gives used cars yet another edge on used cars. Think of CarMax as, a, as the TJX of the auto industry. It's perfect for a barbell economy where the rich are still buying the same stuff, but everybody else is trying to trade down in order to save money. Seen the dollar stores lately? Best of all, even after this epic run, the stock sells for less than 16 times earnings. That's crazy. That's next year's numbers. I think it's a bargain, although obviously I'd like it to pull back. I mean, what am I going to tell you? I want you to buy it here. I mean, you know, it's maybe buy some here and then buy some here for, in an overbought market. That's what I want you to do. The bottom line, you know I don't like to chase. That's why I'm reluctant to just say go buy some. But CarMax just keeps roaring. And after today's terrific quarter, you know what? I bet it's got more room to run. How about we go to Alex in California, please? Alex. They get a, they get a booyah, Big Jim. Well, Alex is coming to play today. What's going on? Hey, Jim, I had a quick question about General Motors. Um, with NASA going on and the potential ability to close that and with uh, GM's cruise line and the, the cars that they have coming up in the next couple of years, do you think GM is a buy at these levels? I think GM is in one of the most challenged positions of any company I follow. I think that GM is entirely possible that if we do not get the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement, this is going to be a stock that's going to go to 30, and it's a very expensive stock, but it will just get more inexpensive. I say stay away. CarMax is king of the road. I bet it's got even more room to run. Hey, much more made money. After a tough day in the cannabis space, am I an unconventional play that could be worth considering? Then, are you suffering from IPO fatigue like I am? Well, you're not alone. Let me tell you something. I'll tell you what it means for the market and all your calls. Rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Night in Round. So stay with... Kramer. 
This was a tough, tough day for the cannabis cohort. Last night, Kramer Fave Canopy Growth reported a quarter that was widely viewed as disappointing. While their sales came in higher than expected, the company missed production estimates and lost more money than Wall Street was expecting them to. The earnings hit doesn't bother me all that much. The whole point of Canopy is that they're spending a fortune to establish themselves as the dominant player in the marijuana business. But there was one truly discouraging line item that, that did have me worried. The company's Canadian recreational weed sales were down versus the previous quarter. That's not supposed to happen. I'm not saying this was a canopy at the bat situation. There was no joy in Budville. <laughs> Mighty canopy has struck out. I still believe marijuana is a huge, can- a huge opportunity. I think that it's the displacement of, say, as much as maybe $250 billion of non-canopy things. But what, what does it take to be a cannabis kingpin these days? It's, it's, it's not going to come cheap. It's not going to happen as fast as many of you want it to. This has become a long-term story, and it requires patience, and most of you do not have that when it comes to these stocks. But I bring up Canopy because it's the best of breed. So the negative pin action from this, this in, I'd say, very suboptimal quarter devastated the entire group. The House of Pain. That makes this the perfect moment to address a cannabis company that we keep getting phone calls about. On March 5th, Charleston, California asked for my opinion on innovative industrial properties, symbol IIPR. I'd said I'd get back to them. Oh, I sure wish I'd circle back sooner because this stock has been blazing hot. Really what a run from 75 when Charles asked me about it up to 137 yesterday for closing today. Uh, $117 really crushed it. Charles, you got some horse sense. Mia culpa for not just telling you to buy it. I just didn't feel comfortable enough to just say, yeah, go buy it. It's a, <laughs> it's a real interesting situation. Today, uh, in the wake of Canopy, the big earnings shortfall, IIPR has been put through the me kinder. This thing's down 13% today, 17 well, it's still up a lot from early March. This is exactly the kind of pullback that could make for good buying opportunities, so long as you believe in the underlying story. So do we believe... Do we believe in innovative industrial properties? Okay, this one's interesting. It's not a regular stock. It's a real estate investment trust, like a Ventas, okay? Like a federal real. It's the only real estate investment trust in the cannabis space. We've been on the lookout for pick and shovel play on the marijuana sector the whole time, something akin to the companies that made fortune selling picks and shovels in the California gold rush. It was a much safer business model than actually prospecting for gold. And in theory, IIPR could be that kind of story. But in practice, it sure doesn't trade that way. Innovative industrial is a what's known as a sale leaseback REIT. Just make it even tougher, I know. Basically, they buy specialized buildings that are used by state-licensed medical med- uh, marijuana growers. Then they lease them back to the operators under long-term rental agreements. They know exactly the kind of setup you need to grow hydroponic weed that's consistent enough for the medical marijuana business. Now, IIPR has been making a series of acquisitions, buying up a lot, lots of new properties in states where medical marijuana is legal. They just snapped up a piece of uh, real estate right here in Michigan. The earnings, they've been good, too. And the company just raised its dividend by 33% earlier this week, bringing the yield up to 2% at these levels. Oh, yeah, I know it seems paltry, but can you imagine a cannabis stock having a yield? I have no problem with Innovative Industrial, the company. But Innovative Industrial, the stock, that's another story. It's just too hot for me. IPR came public at 20 bucks way back in December 2016. For its first full year of, uh, after its IPO, it traded sideways. Then, as the cannabis cohort started heating up, IIPR began to roar higher, up more than 40% last year, and now it's up nearly 160% for 2019. No, come on, too hot. 
Yeah, most of the move here has happened over the past six months. Now, there may be a universe where IPRs of marijuana stock that lets you sleep at night, but it's not this universe. In reality, the stock trades like every other super speculative cannabis play. Oh, my, it trades like Tilray, for heaven's sake. Look, look at it like this. Innovative Industrial had one of its worst days of all time today, and it's still up nearly 10 bucks for the week. I think the stock has gone parabolic of late. You know, I don't like parabolic. For today's pullback, it was up 60% just since the beginning of June, or no major news. And you know what that looks like to me? That looks like froth. We don't like froth. So I feel like, you know what? I got to say we missed it. We missed it on IPR. I should have moved faster. I should have circled back to this one sooner and recommended it at a much lower level. But up here, I just can't count on this buy-in. And I'd need to see much more of a decline before I'd feel comfortable buying it in the weakness. The bottom line, if you're looking for a safer way to play the cannabis space, I'm not sure it exists anymore. Hey, you know what? Maybe you have to stick with Constellation Brands, the beer and liquor company that's Modelo and it's Corona. That reports next week. It invested $4 billion American cash in canopy growth, although they're spending it like mad. A medical marijuana real estate investment trust with a billion-dollar market cap is not, I repeat, not the kind of stock that will let you sleep soundly at night. Yeah, money is back after the break. It is time! And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready? Ski down it's over the lighting round. Here's what I'm going to start with Joe in Texas. Joe! Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Joe. Hey, first time watcher. Uh, first time calling new watcher. Okay. Uh, quick question. Ticker C-Y. Bye. Ka-ching, ka-ching. We had that one. We nailed it. It's got a great game, and the takeover's occurred. And it is time to celebrate and go. I need to go to Steve in Vermont, Steve. Hey, Jim, how you doing? All right, Steve, what's I'm, up? I'm recently, I'm recently retired, and your guidance and advice has always been balanced and on point and very helpful to me. Thank you. Um, my question is this. What is your take on Village Farms lately? It seems to have huge growth potential. I have not had a look at Village Farms. I know that they have really good vegetables. I'm not kidding. That's what they do, and we're going to come back on that and look at it. I promise to not wait three months until I do it. Let's go to Bob in New York. Bob! Jim, in a low interest rate environment, is it too late to buy $23 stock high dividend yield Starwood property trust? No, it is not. As a matter of fact, just last night, someone asked me for a high yielding stock that I like. I said Ventos, and I said I should have said Starwood. Barry Sterling does a great job. It's had a nice little move, but I think it has more to go. How about Brad in Michigan? Brad! Hey, Jim, happy Friday. I wanted to ask about Berkshire Hathaway Class B shares. Nothing's happening. It's bad at Berkshire. I still like it. But they got a horse sense. And, oh, are they smart. Let's go to uh, Amir in California. Amir. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. What's up? I've been watching. I, I'm turning 21 in a week, and I've been watching you since seventh grade. I just wanted to let you know. Thank you. And, uh. I was going to ask about Activision. Do you think it could break out soon because it's been trading uh, in the mid If Activision breaks out, then Take-Two goes much, much higher. I need you to be with Strauss Zelenik. I think he's got the right stuff. And thank you for watching. Basically, all your life. I just love that. How about Michael in New Jersey? Michael. 
Booyah! Hey, Jim, I'm a college student up at Northeastern University in Fantastic. Boston. I love the show. How's Fantastic. it going? Pretty good. My question for you is today. I'm a shareholder of Scott's Milk Road, ticker symbol, SMG. I bought in at 59 a share in December, and I'm curious if I should take my profits or hold that. I want you to high. sell almost half of it. You've got a real good gain, and I don't like the weather. And that's what that matters for that one. Nice trading, nice investing, and that. Ladies and gentlemen, the of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. <laughs> What? Now what? All right, to all the haters out there, first of all, hi, haters. But what should you make of it? Uh, have your portfolio come out. Sorry. God, we have the wrong symbol. We got to bust that. Yes, glass pants. No, oh, I'm sorry, glass pants. I would put a black T-shirt on and just wait at the door of Microsoft and just in case he would say, oh, a fellow black t-shirt guy, come on in. It's so wrong. For months, for months I've been worrying you about this coming flood of new IPOs. I said at some point we'd have too many new stocks. There's only so much money coming to actively manage hedge funds and mutual funds, which means you can get to a place where portfolio managers run out of ammo, where they can't buy anything new without liquidating something old. Although in a refreshing change this week, we did finally have a lot of money coming into the market, out of bonds, into stocks. So after this latest spurt of new deals, though, have we reached or at least getting close to the tipping point. Well, this new money in stocks, the ones that just just came in now over the transom, is that going to make things okay, or is there so much supply that it doesn't even matter how much money comes in? I think it depends. On the one hand, certain kinds of companies are still in short supply. If we don't have a lot of caterpillars, didn't you love Bumblebee last night? We don't have a lot of Honeywells, Darius and Damcheck doing a great job, uh, that are being transformed by smart management teams so they can navigate the turbulent seas of world trade and you can own them despite the vicissitudes of China versus United States. On the other hand, after this week, I will say, I've had it. We definitely have too many software as a service stocks. And that, that's something just, well... You can't, I can't take it anymore. Take CrowdStrike, which claims to be the only cybersecurity company that's built from the cloud for the for the cloud from the ground up. It now has a $14 billion market capitalization, making it one of the most successful IPOs of the current era, even after today's 3.5% shellacking. But wait a minute. Zscaler is also a cloud-based cybersecurity play. It has more revenues, $300 million this year versus $250 million for CrowdStrike. While CrowdStrike is certainly a good company, no denying that, Zscaler is the envy of the industry. Yet Zscaler only has a $9.7 billion market capitalization. So how the heck can CrowdStrike be worth more than that? Logically, it doesn't make sense. But I know that people were selling some Zscaler to pick up some CrowdStrike. All right, then there's Slack, a company I told you I really like. Don't get me wrong. This is a good story. Individuals use Slack's collaboration software, and then they ask their employers to pay up for the higher-end version because it's just that good. But is it $19 billion good? I think yes. But you could tell today there's some people who think no. I think the stock siphoned off from stock from, from enterprise software uh, go-to names, like a Microsoft, by the way, their competitors. Remember, because some people say they collaborate. I know. God, every time you say something, there's some wise says, no, Jim, you know, they collaborate. I know. 
But Slack is so new, index funds can't invest in it. After all, it's not in any index funds. It's just it, 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 indices. It just got added. That makes it an orphan among stock-picking portfolios. And you can only own so many of these. All right, here's the, the hottest of all, Zoom Video. Really good company, okay? Zoom Video is video conferencing. But it turns out that Cisco has a division that competes with Zoom. It's a good one. And by the way, the people from Zoom were from Cisco. So should Zoom be worth $27 billion? I don't know. I think it depends on how much money comes into the market. Then on top of that, what do we got? Well, I like to refer because it is, it's a great company, uh, Okta. And then there's the Zendesk. Uh, how about the Ring Centrals? How about the MongoDBs? Remember that last day? All of which are designed to help their customers operate more efficiently. When you look at the market capitalization of the big boys like Salesforce, Workday, ServiceNow, Splunk, you realize, okay, hey, there's just too many of these software as a service companies. So what happens when there are too many stocks? We're now in a one-deal-too-many mode, people. It means the next time a software-as-a-service company comes public, instead it doesn't go to a premium, it breaks price. You know, in other words, it breaks the print price where it came, and it goes down. Well, i got to tell you something. This whole group is going to go down, and you saw some of the prelude of this in the last half hour of today's trading. These were miserable. Yeah, the whole group's likely to sell off if one of these stocks that comes public doesn't work. Unfortunately, the bankers, they don't care. They got to make the money. The venture capitalists are eager to take profits before the IPO window closes. They got what we call real low basis. That's why I think it's time to acknowledge that we've had a really big run here. And if you don't know what these companies actually do anymore, let me tell you what you do if you own one of them. Ka-ching, ka-ching. You ring the register. Stick with Kramer. You notice how everything fell apart in that last half hour? That's my biggest fear. See, all these new stocks, there was no buyer underneath. No one. They were going up, up, up. And then suddenly someone pulled the plug. We don't even know why. And then just a vacuum. That's what I've been worried about the whole time. I think we have reached on we time on IPOs. Like so there's always a bullmark summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Graber, and I'll see you Monday. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.